Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of Think Relevance, the podcast. Uh, we did something a little bit different today, just for fun. Uh, hope you enjoy it. But we'll get to that in a minute on the episode. Uh, in the meantime, I want to talk to you about a couple things that are coming up relevant to relevancers. Uh, first of all, um, Justin Gatland and the CTO of RoomKey are good friends and clients. Uh, you remember them from the podcast episode we did with them. Uh, so anyway, their CTO, Kurt Zimmer, will be speaking together at CloudBeat in San Francisco on September 9th and 10th. So that should be pretty fun. Uh, also, remember I mentioned last time that uh, Mike Nygaard and Stu Halloway were going to be doing a barnstorming tour through Europe. And that is completely booked. So thanks for your response on that. Um, hopefully you'll get a chance to attend one of the events while they're there. Uh, Mike Nygaard will be returning to Minneapolis just in time for some Datomic training at Dev Jam on October 25th, so you can check that out and sign up. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, at Relevance headquarters in Durham, uh, Damian Mack and Yoko Harada will be at West End Ruby Hack Night. That's on the 20th, and of course this is all in 2013. Then on the 21st of August we're talking about here, there's the Triangle Closure Meetup Group, uh, Ryan Newfeld and Luke Vanderhart will be there leading up a uh, working group on their new closure cookbook. Uh, Yoko Harada will also be attending. Um, and then, of course, uh, later that later this month, this August 20, 2013, the 23rd through the 25th, Stuart Halloway will be giving a whole bunch of presentations, including an introduction to closure, generative testing, simulation testing, talking about codec. And that's at the Research Triangle Software Symposium. So that's Stuart Howell will be speaking there. Um, there is one more thing. Uh, I, Craig Andera, will be speaking at Closure DC in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, giving a quick introduction to Closure and then talking about Causatom, a new open source library that I released that is about uh, generating events from stochastic, stochastic Markov chains. Um, so come on by if you happen to be in Alexandria. You can find details about that. Um, at meetup.com slash closuredc, and that's on the 27th of August, so hope to see you there. Yeah, I think that's it. That's quite a bit, so uh, plenty of chances to see Relevancers, but I won't keep you from the episode any longer. I'll just say thanks for listening. podcast it is currently friday june 28 2013 as craig is snarkily smiling at me to remember uh, i am your guest host justin getland and your guest today on the podcast will be craig andera hello thank you craig and uh, i'm very excited to get a chance to sit across from you and do the questioning as opposed to answering all of the uh, pot shot questions you normally take so hopefully the heat won't be too bad sitting on your side. No, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Um, so as always, we need to get your guests' opinion on the most important question of any podcast on relevance. What have our listeners been listening to? Panic Attack by Dream Theater. 
Well, that's fascinating because that very band comes up later in my list of things to talk to you about. All right, yeah, well, I mean, it's a so, favorite of mine. Not a, not, a sh- not a surprise, not a shock. Um, it is uh, a great pleasure to be able to sit on the side of the uh, table from Craig because uh, it's a way to pay homage to uh, something that I really want to thank him for publicly on air, which is having created the Irrelevance podcast out of literally nothing. And I know that he will cast lots of uh, um, appreciation to other people for carrying it forward. But uh, without Craig, we wouldn't have the podcast, and you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me thank him. So I've been—I'm always—I really appreciate that. And um, I got to say, like, uh, it's really been super cool to have people say thanks. Like, just you know, because you know, I, I spend some time on this, and other people do too. And so the fact that we've had people say I enjoy the show. Is it's awesome. It's like really great because um, I said when we started the show, the whole point was I had just had a really cool conversation with somebody, and wouldn't it be nice if we could share those? And you know, I do think relevance is a really cool place. I've said before, you know, I was an independent for twelve years, twelve years before I before I came to relevance, and I wasn't even remotely tempted to take a full time job anywhere else. And so, you know, it's a really intentional choice for me to be here, and um, I don't regret it. So it's been cool to kind of gets that out to some people and the response has been has been really really awesome well so. it's been a fantastic thing from the company's perspective um not just because we like the sound of our own voices although we all do there is that uh but it's also been a great way to keep a conversation going and there's lots of ways to have conversations but it turns out that the human voice is you know evolved specifically to have conversations so it's been great so the first question i wanted to ask you craig is about when you had that notion of, wouldn't it be great if I could share that conversation with everybody else? Somehow you made the leap from, wouldn't that be great to, I bet I could record this and put it out on the web. Can you talk a little bit about what in your background led you to think, yeah, I can give that a whirl? Right. So a bunch of things. Um, first of all, I should say it was quite a while ago now. I mean, it was a year and a half, and I have a hard hard time remembering things that happened a day and a half ago. (laughs) But um, so one of the things is that, you know, you and I met at a company called Developmentor. You also met Stu, the other co-founder of Relevance there. Um, And we collectively all met Tim Ewald there. Uh, Tim was on talking about Pedestal. He's a friend of mine for a really long time. Um, And uh, he and I actually had a podcast uh, 2003-something. It was kind of towards the beginning of the whole podcast thing, and we're like, we should try that. Um, it may even have been prior to iTunes being a distribution, like the kind of most important distribution medium for podcasts. It was, Maybe it was, back when Odeo was still collecting podcasts before they became Twitter. I think it might have even just been, hey, there's RSS, and some people are sticking MP3s in them. But anyway, it was a while back, and uh, we did like four episodes. I actually kind of like the name of that one. That was uh, called Design and Implementation. So kind of like he was the design, and I was the implementation, but also that those lines are blurry, and we both do both. And we did you know a few episodes, and then we both just got busy. But it was fun, and like we we had a good time doing it. And I thought the re- the episodes came out reasonably well, and so it ended up being kind of in the in the back of my mind. And then on top of that, um, just the idea of of talking, right, is something, like I said, we all met at Developmentor, which is a, a training company. Um, and so, you know, this idea of communicating to people, getting up in front of the world and, and, and saying things is kind of in our background. So, I don't know, it's, those things just sort of came together, I guess. 
Well, and you are also um, among the more musically inclined people here at Relevance, at the very least, although they're... <laughs> Pretty much everybody in our industry is musically inclined in one way or another. I, I have to take exception with the word inclined. <laughs> like that implies that like it's easy, you know. I, I flail away more than some people do. I, I try to keep at it. But anyway. Well, you, you clearly also have, um, uh, in addition to the performance aspect, you have uh, a, a deep love for the recording aspect as well. Or at least you seem to at least understand it more than a lot of people do. And I wondered if that also sort of played into it. You, you you come armed with microphones and equalizers and cords and everything else. Uh, is that stuff you've picked up since you started the, the podcast for us, or is this just a long-standing thing that you've been doing? Um, so, <laughs> kind of yes and no in terms of, I think you're implying some level of expertise. And on the one hand, my degree, uh, I actually have a master's degree in electrical engineering. It, uh, with a, that was a focus on signal processing. So I understand the math behind waveforms and things like that, but I'm no kind of recording engineer. Like I really, you know, I know that these are condenser mics that we're sitting in front of, but I can't remember why that is or like, you know, later I'll really have to flail away at the audio if I want to do anything with it. And, you know, like we've had Rich on the show and, and we work with him a lot and he really was a recording engineer. And so when he's explaining... I ask him a question about how I could maybe make the audio better, and he explains that I'm struggling to keep up. So if I have a lot of fancy gear, it's because Rich said, you should buy the Zoom. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I should, because I should have one of those. But but really, I mean, um, one of the things that we've done with the show is, <laughs> to a certain degree, um, and this is not a comment on the guests, but a comment on the, the production, is emphasize quantity over quality. Because I feel like um, people would much rather that we manage to get through 20, 25 shows a year that maybe sound like the one that Stuart and I did in my car, right? <laughs> right. Than that we have something that sounds super duper awesome if they happen to listen to it on expensive equipment, right? Because I imagine most people are listening to this in their car or in their $20 headphones at lunch or, or whatever. And they really, what they really want to hear is, you know, what Mike Nygaard has to say or what Rich has to say or or whatever the, the guest has to say, you know, those, those types of things. So, so, you know, I mean, I know a little bit, but it's really just enough to get it down onto um, tape. I'm doing air quotes with, um, you know, the minimum amount of effort required to make it audible and not annoying to right. any but the, you know, but audio files. So. Is, it a, is it a thing that you think is uh, an area of study for you that you're like, you know, you're hoping to get better and better at? Or is it, hey, I've, I'm getting good at this and I'm, that's great. Like, like. Is sound engineering something you really hope to learn more about, or uh, is it in, in, in pursuit of this? It's really in pursuit of this. Like I'm not. I mean, I I actually I'm a little interested, right? So I was like I said, I was asking Rich the other day. I'm, we're down here in Durham right now, and he's here as well. And I asked him. I said, ah, you know, I've been. Is there anything you've heard on the show that you think would be would be helpful? And he's like, oh, there's a few things you could try. And so I'm interested in trying those out, but. But again, there's a balance. Like, you know, I do this on my Friday time and I have other things I want to do on my Friday time as well. And so, you know, if those things are difficult or if I can't master them, I'm not going to obsess over it the way that I obsess over other things. So, yeah. Well, that leads me to a, a segue that, that gets us from one topic to another pretty nicely, which is that um, we just talked about your musical inclination and, and um, you are a person... Uh, who encourages others, specifically me, to buy instruments when when the <laughs> time is allotted? Uh, it didn't cost uh, you that much. Uh, Craig Craig sat next to me at a guitar store and said, "Of course you should buy that because 
You want it. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> um, not my money. That's right. But you, you also do have a variety of instruments, which you <laughs> cart with you down here a lot, and, 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 and we jam. And, um, but you, you are a polyglot of instrumentation, if you will. Uh, is that a metaphor for how you uh, live your technical life as well, or is that um, uh, specific to music? Uh, because you tend to like to try new things quite a bit. Well, I play I play three instruments to beyond the absolute beginner level, although I would say I'm still a beginner at all three of them. So uh, I think people have heard me say I play the bass before. I have dabbled with the drums slightly. Um, that's my weakest instrument, definitely. Um, and I've been recently trying to learn the cello. And so I do cart that down here with me because, oh my God, I, I need to practice, right? So. And Craig owns what I, I find to be the most stunningly gorgeous visually instrument I've ever seen, which is an electric cello. It's beautiful to look at. Yeah, I hate it. Like, I really don't <laughs> like the way it sounds. It's a super cheap one. Like, it's black lacquer, and it's like at this frame that's the outline of a cello shape. But I've got my eye on a much nicer electric cello that I may pick up at some point, but... Um, well, if you if you want to get rid of it, I'll happily frame it and put it on a wall. It's a beautiful <laughs> piece of work. It does look good hanging on the wall for sure. Um, so your question was about my approach to you know programming. I don't know. That's a good question. I think um, I wouldn't say that. So I don't feel like a polyglot musician. I feel like a serial monogamist, right? <laughs> like I feel like I've I, I I I'm either practicing one or the other. Like I when I get when I get serious about learning songs on the bass, I actually put the cello away. Part of that's time constraints. Um, and part of it's just the way I structure my day. I, I like to have times where I do things, and I like to do them every day. Um, and so it doesn't really feel that way. To It doesn't really feel like I'm trying lots and lots of different things, either in the music realm or in the technology realm. And in the technology realm, it, it's because I feel it's even less discreet than it is with instruments. Like when I'm playing the cello, it's clearly a different activity than playing the bass, right? But when I'm learning, say, pedestal versus datomic versus playing with whatever I'm experimenting with, um, and, and granted, those are both kind of in our family of technologies, but whatever it is, right, even outside those things, those don't feel like fundamentally different activities to me. So I guess I would say that I don't, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't have a hard time drawing a lot of parallels between right. them, other than to say that practice is a key component of any activity, right? You really want to be good at getting better at things right so well greg you and i have known each other like you said for quite a long time and and we met uh at development or when we were both neck deep in the microsoft world mm -hmm. uh it's stack it's politics it's all of it um and now of course we barely we barely interface with that world at all um talk a little bit about the journey that got you from there to here because we know a lot of people in common who have all made a very similar journey, but each of those journeys has had vastly different flavors. Uh, and I want to know more about how you feel about that, that transition. Sure. So, I mean, the brief arc is um, professionally. I mean, there was basic when I was a kid or whatever, but my arc has been C++ on Windows to uh, C Sharp on Windows to Clojure on mostly not Windows, although it matters less now. Um, and the, 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 the big jump from C-sharp to Clojure was essentially, um, so I'd been really lucky as a consultant. Uh, I was, you know, a combination of a bunch of things, including my time at Developmentor, meant that um, I knew people who were looking for um, people to do work in C-sharp, kind of at the far edge of what was going on in C-sharp. 
So for example, I did work consulting work at Microsoft and we were always working with the very latest version of the tools, oftentimes using them to develop the next version of those tools. And so that meant that I had access to all of the shiny stuff that Anders had thought of in C Sharp, right? Like, so, I mean, I stopped before async, but you know, uh, when link came out uh, or, or, um, or anonymous functions or you know, anonymous, whatever they were, I can't even remember now, it's kind of flushed that stuff, but all those new features. And, um, you know, uh, so in school, I had done Scheme, and so I was at least passingly familiar with the Lisp world. And, you know, um, especially when I was younger, I'd always keep my ear to the ground. I knew I was aware of various languages, had played a little bit with Common Lisp, and really, really liked the fact that with Common Lisp, all of these things that we were seeing in C Sharp, right, like, so every time it would come up, it would be really exciting that there were new features available in the language. Be like. Common Lisp already has that. Common Lisp already has that. You, you know, th- there were issues. Like, you, you can't just say, well, then I'll use Common Lisp, or you just, that's not sure. practical. But but I was like, well, maybe I should go and just, like, learn that. Practical so, Common Lisp. I see what you did there. Yeah, right. And so then, uh, so I thought I'd, I'll go learn Common Lisp for real so that um, when the next feature comes out, I will already understand it, even if I don't know the syntax, right? It's right. kind of like a, a jump ahead. Um, because, you know, I spent a lot of my time you know, unbuild time as a consultant where I would learn new technologies. And so that seemed like a, a, a game changer. Um, and so I did that. And um, around the same time, Clojure was coming on the scene. And if you like the things about common Lisp that feel like the things that C Sharp and other languages were introducing, Clojure was like, whoa, a modern runtime, modern sensibilities, and oh, concurrency, right? Um, which was really, really attractive because, you know, as a C++ and C-sharp guy building mostly the back ends of big systems, things like, you know, threading and state management were, were interesting to me. And anything that could make them easier was nice. Now, of course, as I got more and more into it, what I found was that a combination of the features available in those languages, the sh- having sharper tools uh, in that language, actually, specifically um, co- uh, closure. Um, and... The fact that I had been doing C-sharp for about 10 years at that point and was just tired of it, right? I mean, and that's not a knock on the technology. Um, I do think that it is, um, in some respects, some significant to me respects, it is technically inferior. Like, it's, I'm living in the future relative to where most people are operating in C-sharp right now. That's just my opinion. But, um, but you know, the combination of having done it for a while and going, okay, the grass is greener, I was like, I'm ready to make the jump. Right, I'm ready to make the jump. And, you know, I had been at Microsoft working on this really giant, I worked on Visual Studio, right, which was, you know, people are like, how many people worked on that? I think it was, if you count the project managers and the testers, it was close to 2,000 people on the technical team, 2,000 people, right? And you can probably imagine a little bit what that was like if you haven't done it yourself. And so, um, and, 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 and further, even though I had worked in that giant team environment, Almost all of my other work to that point had been um, as an individual, quite often brought in to write a prototype. So that's, you go in the corner, you figure everything out, <laughs> you write it, and then you go away, right. right? And that's, you know, not exactly like that, but that was a theme, right? More or less like that. And so here it was the intersection of, um, you know, a couple of friends of mine, people I trusted, you and Stu, started a company, were just at the very beginning of, hey, maybe we'll reach out into the broader world outside of Durham and work with people that we find there. I knew you. You guys were 
it's at that time essentially the only company that had a closure identity of any kind. Right. Right. And fortunately, that's not even remotely true now. No. Although I feel like we are well positioned within that community, but we're far sure, but from the, the more the merrier. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and that and wanting to try something new, um, both in the technology front and in the wow, these guys are agile. You know, they have small teams, they move quickly. I would be a peer on the team and not the guy in the corner. Um, all that was like, okay, it's the perfect storm. Now, of course, we also bought a house and had my oldest daughter start kindergarten at the same time. So it's like, why not just change oh, everything? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a pretty insane summer. But um, but that, that was kind of the road that took me here, and I don't regret it for a second at all. Well, that's good. Uh, we certainly haven't regret you having made the decision either. <laughs> Um, and I want to touch some, on something you said there. You know, having worked on the Visual Studio team, I think one of the big um, themes when people think about the segmentation of the developer marketplace, the developer community, um, is that there is no such thing as a C Sharp developer or a Visual Basic.net developer. There are just Visual Studio developers. There are people who are they embed in the Microsoft ecosystem and uh, consume the tools and the and the practices. That Microsoft puts forward, and and obviously out in the open source side and in the places where closure exists, tooling is a matter of extreme personal choice to the point where people have wars about Emacs versus you know VI and everything else in between. Um, and that doesn't seem to be, and, and certainly I grew up in that space as well, and I don't remember there being a whole lot of argumentation about tools. You use the tools you had, and you right. Was, do you use ReSharper or not? Exactly. Was the big, was the, the that big was all there was. Uh, do you actually branch out from from you know? Uh, and God forbid you use like IntelliJ or something like that and try to do this. Um, has that had an impact on the way you work uh, or on the way you experience working, or has that just felt natural? Because that's a big jump. It was a huge one for me. Oh, I was an Emacs user for years and years and years. Like I would use. Oh, Emacs. that's where you and I differ. Well, yeah. So I would use Emacs every single day for for stuff not related to developing C sharp. And so, for me, and especially at the time, I and mean, we're talking about when I was learning Closure was two thousand eight or nine. Um, there weren't, there wasn't the fairly rich set of choices you have now. You have all sorts. Emacs is obviously still huge. Lots of people use that, but there's counterclockwise and light table and 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 catnip right Bodle's really awesome looking um uh tool and any number of other things so for me the the jump you know i didn't have to learn emacs right i had to learn how to code closure in emacs but i didn't have to learn emacs so that was that was not really a big deal i, I will say that you know i experienced the same things that a lot of people did when i started doing a lot more closure which was oh wow i don't use the debugger anywhere near as much right i don't have uh, at the time, especially the same types of stuff around IntelliSense and the jump from a statically uh, type to a dynamic language and, you know, those things. But I think everyone that's gotten past a fairly early point in the closure, uh, you know, curve has experienced those things. So it didn't feel like a, a shock to me. The biggest, honestly, the biggest changes for me when I made that was all of that other stuff, right? Like moving to a small, I mean, here, my client list, right, when I was a consultant was... Microsoft, Honeywell, Northrop Grumman, Target, Medtronic. I mean, it was not relevance, which when I joined was 20 people, right? Um, even though, of course, some of our clients are very, very big companies. And in fact, my first project was with one of those extremely large companies. <laughs> sure. Um, but it was still, that was like the big change for me was the, the change in culture, not so much around uh, our choice of language, but everything else, like everything else, like agile, you know, move quick. 
super introspective, stand up and say this sucks and here's how we should change it and having everybody take you seriously. And two weeks later, it's working that way. That, that was the stuff that was really big different for me. Right. And I, I think that that um, is a great uh, way to sort of segment what it is we do here because a lot of what we do is very technical and a lot of what we do has nothing to do with technology. And that's a hard thing to sometimes juggle uh, because, um, well, as you know, I mean, uh, Craig, you are universally lauded, lauded. I can never know how to say that word. Lauded. I'm loud. I'm pretty You're lauded. Yeah. You're lauded here uh, internally and by the, the customers that you've worked with for being a level-headed guy, uh, pragmatic guy, uh, somebody who can balance um, doing the cool thing with doing the necessary thing. Um, but a lot of times that necessary thing is a human thing. It's got nothing to do with the code or the typing. Um, uh, and so it's good to hear reflected back that, that, you know, <laughs> that might've been the biggest jump in fact. Oh, it was a the... huge influence on the way I do things now. I mean, I like, I do, I do, I do believe I carried into relevance the attitude that the hardest parts than the most important parts of software are about the people involved for sure. Um, yeah, I was a consultant for a pretty long yeah. time and, um, and I think you, you learned that lesson, but, but definitely in terms of, you know, any number of things that I could name, it's, it's been an enormous influence on me. And if I left relevance tomorrow, which I absolutely have no intention of I'm doing, I'm staring at you coldly yeah, across exactly. microphones. <laughs> I have no intention whatsoever of doing that. And, you know, especially because we're here in Durham this week, I get to hear about cool things that are coming up and there are a lot of them. So um, there are. Yep. Um, then, you know. Hopefully that will have been announced by the time this makes it online. <laughs> that would make me excited. Um, uh, so you have been, as, a, as anybody who's been listening serially to the podcast knows, uh, we had a couple weeks ago um, in real time, uh, we released an episode featuring uh, Kurt Zimmer from our customer uh, room key. And uh, that is Craig's project mm -hmm. and has been for quite some time. Um, that... I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's been your first full-on, neck-deep, closure-all-the-time project here at Relevance. No. Is that true? No? Nope. You, which you go. Oh, well, yeah, there's been others yet. Okay. There have I, been I, others. I can never remember who's had the opportunity right. to go all the way neck-deep, full-stack. Right. We have a lot of them, and that this is at, at a minimum my third. I can think of okay. two others off the top Great. of my head. So then then you'll be able to answer this question even better than with, with, with multiple uh, cracks under your belt. Um, what about building commercial software using that stack has been a revelation and what has been your biggest frustration? Uh, revelation, uh, totally datomic, right? This is all three of the ones that I'm, that I'm thinking of. And, and certainly RoomKey, which we've talked about, um, on the podcast, as you said, has, have been using datomic, uh, datomic was the largest scale one. Um, and I, we took two of them to production, but one of them was smaller and the other one didn't didn't go to production during my engagement with that project. So, so taking this one with Datomic to production has been super educational. Has been really really fun. I think I said before, like Datomic is the first database I've ever worked with, and I you know have done some. I'm not, I'm not a database guy, but I understand. I feel like I understand you know the semantics of how to interact with a database. So for the kind of the mid tier aspect of databases, sure. if you will. Um, Datomic's the first database I've ever used where I feel like I understand what it is doing. Like I can keep the model of what the database is doing in my head and that makes makes working with it much easier. And that, of course, combined with the fact that Datomic is simple in the rich hickey sense of it, means that there are pieces and you can put them together in different ways and we have done that. Specific, and I'll be speaking at Strange Loop about 
exactly what I'm talking about with respect to that. Um, you know, that that are super enabling, right? Both in terms of being able to reason about the system. I know that phrase gets overused sometimes, but being able to reason about the system and in terms of being able to um, approach problems and solve them in, in, in ways that have the characteristics you want. Um, so that's, I think the atomic has been my biggest, boy, that was fun. Um, and I, that's really feels like a massive advantage to have that tool in my bag. Um, biggest frustration that's a tough one because the room key project has been super fun. Right. Um, I really, really have enjoyed it. I am totally drawing a blank on things that have sucked <laughs> about that project. And I mean, I think people probably picked that up when you and I were talking to Kurt is that yeah. it's going really well. Right. I mean, really, really well. Anything about remote pairing using Emacs and closure on Tmux? Anything about like, what is there something in the stack that every time you hit it, you're like, yeah. So, <laughs> right. So let's, let's cover that. So a bunch of things actually, and these are nits compared to like, how good the good things are, but um, I would say that there's no awesome solution right now for sharing a browser, right? Like, and that's important because sometimes you want to say, I'm working on a website and let's look at it and you can click and I can click and there's stuff that works fine, you know, and, and this is of course because I am remote, right? Right. It's a consequence of that. The other one I would say is that um, video technology is not great. And you've heard me say this any number of times, but I don't remember if we've talked about it on the podcast. I really like video for remote pairing. Like, I think that audio is good. And it obviously, as a podcast host, I'm a fan of the... <laughs> this isn't a video cast, right, after and all. It, it wouldn't exist if it was, because video is a pain in the ass to edit. Um, but in terms of, like, presence, you know, of, of feeling tied in, uh, I think video is huge. And I think I mentioned this maybe on Chaz's show. When I work, I have three monitors. One of them is dedicated to spike, uh, uh, Skype. Right. It is off to, to my right, um, and there's a, that's a, there's a reason for that because I put the camera right on top of it. And if I can get the other person to do the same thing, if we work on the screen in front of us and have the video off to the side, what it means is that when I turn to address the camera where the other person's face is, it, it brings eye contact back into the interaction. And that's subtle. I mean, we, you can get by without it, right? You can totally pair without it successfully. Stuart Sierra, for example, who I, I love working with Stuart. Um, he is in, he is, he lives in New York and he can't get enough bandwidth to make video anything but a horrible experience for him. And so we pair on audio and it's fine, right? We've worked together for long enough, but if I can get video, I will. And it just doesn't work often enough that it bums me out a little bit. So as bandwidth improves or whatever gets better, that's going to be cool. I am very much looking forward to a future where we have some sort of telepresence permanent station down here where anybody who's remote has one in their house and can just walk up and kind of tap on the glass and so get somebody's attention. You, you know I'm going to build one, right? I, Friday time, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I am, no, I'm dead serious. I, I have this idea that I'm going to tackle. So my, uh, my, my family is going to be away for a while this summer, so I'll That's be right. by myself. And uh, uh, my thought is I have some friends back in Minnesota. I've been friends with them since high school, you know, whatever. And we'd like to do role-playing, and they're starting up a game. And I'm like, man, I went in on that. And, of course, um, Skype is actually good enough now where I – can do that. I can have them set up a laptop and be at the table and say, hey, somebody please roll me roll me a 20 or whatever. Right? <laughs> um, but I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could build a robot that was essentially a turntable that you could strap a laptop to, right? That would run Skype with video and full screen. 
and then you could remote control where it would turn. Right. So that would bring uh, that would bring eye contact into it as well because you could put it at the end of the table so you wouldn't have to turn too much, and then go, oh, uh, Justin, you know, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Tim, and I think if I get that working, then I have so I like to flight sim. That was one of my hobbies for a while. I have a, uh, a head tracking unit, right? It's a thing you attach to a hat, and then there's another camera that watches it and knows where you've turned your head. You could do that. So like you would be at the table and you would turn your head and it amplifies. So you only turn a little bit and you get a big turn in the software. Right. You could turn your head to address someone and it would remote control this turntable. So you'd have the Skype experience of like looking back and forth and looking back and forth. And people could tell at whom you were pointed, right? Right. Um, so I think that'd be cool. And so now the follow on to that, the thing that, remind, that comes out of what you said is if you have that, what do you have? You have a library for remote controlling a servo motor. Right? Right. And so now that, you know, talking about primitives, things you can build up. If you have a library for controlling a servo motor, then why don't I go down to the basement, take my, in my wood shop, and build a little tower with two of those. One that you stick an iPad in on the top and turns back and forth, and one that controls wheels on the bottom. Right. And suddenly we've got our office remote telepresence robot. And I'm sure you've seen the one that looks like a mini Segway that already has an that iPad are, towards the thing. I can't remember what they're called. They're two thousand dollars. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I'm just I'm just making sure you understood that there's already competition in the market. I do, and, <laughs> and you know I'm a typical nerd, and I'd rather spend two hundred hours of my time than two thousand dollars of my money. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I can't remember where I've ever come across that run code run code. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, that actually is uh, leads me to another question that's sitting here on my pad to talk to you about, and I'm not sure. Um, uh, how far we want to get into it, but but you are one of the people that does work remotely, and and you clearly spend um, all of your working time, except on you know remote weeks or when you're on on site at a, at a customer, um, you know working out of your house. And uh, I'm a guy who specifically founded a company and then moved it into an office to stop doing that, um, and found that that I couldn't, I was not nearly as productive. Uh, in my own environment as I was in a shared environment. Um, uh, how has that been for you? I mean, you've been doing it for a long time. You clearly yeah. enjoy that. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been doing it for a long time, both because the two and a half years I've been at Relevance, I've been doing it, but also I did it a bunch before that. And, I, you know, um, you know, I mentioned those companies I worked for. You, hey, you weren't there. <laughs> they're not all located in Northern Virginia. Um, yeah, no, I like it a lot. Um, I mean, you know, I live in Northern Virginia, Anyone that has lived there or worked there knows the traffic is horrible. So there's the benefit of not spending days where it's three hours in the car to get to and from work, what I could, you know, run in half an hour or whatever. So there's that. Um, you know, so the time savings is nice. Uh, I have an environment that I can customize to my own needs. Um, and I think pairing is, is good. We don't always pair, right? And actually, I know that you're not as big um, into pairing as a lot of people at Relevance are. Yeah, my wife jokes all the time that Sue and I founded a company dedicated to pairing and neither of us particularly enjoy it. So. Right. Well, I don't think it's fair to say it's dedicated to pairing. It was a huge tool for us historically. Yeah, it was. And, um, and we've moved, I won't say away from it, but we have moved to, I think, a more um, nuanced usage of it, right? Where we'll pair when it makes sense and not when it doesn't. And, and, and so when we, when we pair, being remote, is, is that's actually a nice way to, to stay to say socialize, but you know, I mean, there's, it, it's here. I love the office here, right? It's great. It's fun to come here, but the big war room that we have is not my preferred work environment. In fact, there are studies that show that 
for most people, um, maybe the archetypes at relevance are, are different, but, <laughs> but, uh, but for most people, a, a huge indication of productivity level is whether your office has a door. My office has a door and my family is wonderful about respecting it. And I really like my office. So well, I think that, that, that relevance might be a really interesting study uh, target for somebody who really wanted to delve into that because a lot of the people who are here in the Durham office moved here specifically to, to work from the Durham office and like the war room. And we have a lot of other people who chose not to move here so they could stay at home where they have an office. Uh, and it might be interesting to track. Well, does that, does that really track? Did we just self-select into people who'd rather be together in a space and people who'd rather be you know, somewhat isolated as they work, uh, which is a totally fine thing for us. I think I'm very excited about the movement in the marketplace towards companies that are that are getting more remote. I mean, you know, Yahoo and Marissa Meyer aside, right. uh, most companies are deciding that the, you know, distributed employment is you know, uh, the right thing to do. And certainly relevance wouldn't exist as it does today without that capability. Um, and it took us a long time to get to where we were good at it, um, but it feels great to have achieved it. And from your perspective, it sounds like we have pretty much achieved it um, your experience doesn't sound awful. No, it's good. I mean, you know, we, we could always, I mean, we've said this a hundred times, right? Like we're really good at saying what could be better to the extent sure. where sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we come out of these, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> we come out of these retros and it's like, man, that was depressing. But if you, we've actually gotten smarter about this over time is a lot of times we'll end a retro, like with appreciations yes. where we get to say, Justin, it was really, really awesome how you went around to every single person in the company and sat down with them for like an hour and talked about how things are, how they could be better. You did that with everybody in the company. Gosh, thanks so much for doing that. And we just go around and, and people can say whatever they want. And and we've gotten smart about putting that at the end, right? Absolutely. To, to offset <laughs> our really good, our really keen ability to find things that could be better. Right. And, and I'm, you know, as a person who has to um, balance between um, taking uh, – criticism of how we work personally and taking it as fodder for for getting better um i can say that retros uh, which we have had consistently since 2007 as a corporate entity we, we have done these these retros on a regular heartbeat basis it took a long time to get to the point where our general tendency to say well let's do this better didn't come off as you personally suck at this right um and once you can cross that rubicon it it really opens up um, the company to a lot of growth opportunity and, and that's what I hopefully we've gotten out of it but you're right we can certainly harp on an issue we're yep. good at that too yep. <laughs> so um, Craig I, I opened up to the entire company what questions would you like me to ask Craig while I have him pinned to the wall Uh-oh. I'm sorry to say that I only got one but I'm now going to ask you that one question okay is it why are you so good looking no, it was where'd your hair go? No, where did my hair go? <laughs> two kids? That's, well, right, exactly. Uh, no, Tim wants you to reflect back on um, when you interviewed with him and, and talk about what was tattooed on your knuckles. Oh, he wants me to try to remember the Latin. <laughs> what was it? Uh, uh, it's something like "build first for strength" or something like that. I forget what it was. It was some. It was a cool, actually, really cool quote. I mean, I. Hopefully, it didn't come across as me trivializing his inside by making it <laughs> making a joke about my prison tattoo. But, yeah, we should have Tim back on. Tim, I mean, Tim's one of my oldest friends, and he's brilliant. I mean, if you think pedestal is cool, it's 
largely because Tim was involved, right? And, and if it sucks in any way, it's because other people had to help out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> That's right. And we yeah. didn't let you code on it either. Yeah, don't, God forbid. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, Tim has been um, uh, one of the great additions to the team. Uh, and I, uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, as a, uh, Sue and I founded the company 10 years ago. We were best friends for a long time before that. And a lot of people have already questioned that. Like, you're not supposed to start companies with your friends. Right. Uh, but people have always said, you know, well, you also shouldn't hire your friends uh, because what happens then? I'm like, well, then you get a bunch of friends who work together as far as I can tell. And um, it, it's been really interesting because I've considered you a friend for a long time and I've considered Tim, Tim a friend for a long time and we worked together previously and it hasn't felt at all weird to me uh, that we all, you know, found roles in this new organization that, that um, we seem to enjoy. And I have to say that even historically, when things have not worked out where, where everybody's still in, in, employed in the same place, even those have not felt awful uh, in ways that people expect them to. And so I, I never quite understood the, you know, don't work with your friends thing because, you know, dang it, we just talked about how everything's a people problem. Well, the people you work with ought to be your friends. If they didn't start out that way, they better become that anyway. And then you're right back where you started. So, Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Um... Maybe it depends on the people. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about that because yeah. I haven't I haven't been I have also started companies with my friends. I'm still yeah, I take it back with one exception um, where it actually did become an issue for us. Um, it's worked out well, yeah. but you know I think that guy was kind of going his own way anyway for reasons unrelated to the thing we did, and it just precipitated dynamics that were already in play. Sure. Uh- I think just universally, I can say you got to start with trust. Yeah. And who do you trust? Your friends. So right. you, you know, it's a great place to start from. Um. So time. <laughs> got like we're at like forty minutes. Oh, we can, look at we can, that. Yeah. So, um. So, uh, do you miss training? At no. All? <laughs> no. I mean, I'll do it, and I've I've done I've done some closure classes for relevance. I've taught our curriculum. Um, but as a way of life, like where you go and travel every, you know, for me, it was like twice a month or, or so and teach classes. I don't miss that at all. Do you Uh, miss the being in front of a room? Do you, you you don't have any of that? No, I don't. I got over it. I mean, I, I, and, and, you know, I don't, I think it's great that people like that. You know, we have friends at a, a company, most, most of our, not all, but most of our good best friends from development or went on to form a company called Pluralsight. Right. And we have a relationship with them, both from a business perspective and also we're still friends. And, and those guys are great. And, um, you know, for a long time, I think they're more involved in running the business now. But for a long time, they were continuing to do training. And, and I know, for example, Fritz Onion, he really dug getting up in front of a room and, you know, talking to people and the light goes on. And I, uh, I am this, <laughs> we joke, right? But the truth is that I listen to every, the, every podcast, of course, when I'm editing it. I also listen to it in my car, and like my voice does not bother me. In fact, I usually listen to an episode and go, "I think that was pretty good." Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and hopefully it's not me talking most of the time, except for this one, I guess. But um, I listen to it like that was pretty pretty good. And so I think I'm some kind of egomaniac, right? And so for me, the the value in the courses was the wow, I really have to study this stuff, and then when I say it out loud. Um, I'm going to learn it really well. And the second time I teach it, I'm going to puzzle some other things out. And the third time. And after that, like the bit where 
I helped a group of people come to an understanding about that thing. Didn't do as much for me. Now, um, I still like working one-on-one. Like, you know, you and I actually, one Saturday morning, went <laughs> off and I had a problem and you happened to be on Skype and I said, hey, Justin, I could really use a pair on this, right? This is our appropriate use of pairing. I exactly. think when you're stuck is great. And, I, and, and we just like talked it over over Skype for, well, I don't know, forget, an hour and a half or something and, and, and unlocked the problem, which was great. Um, but the first probably 45 minutes of that was me saying, here it is, right? Here are the concepts. And I still dig that, right? right. So going to Strange Loop and presenting Datomic, um, I'm, I'm going to like that because that's, that's, still, that's still the first part. But I will still enjoy doing that even the 30th time if it's to one person. Right. Right. Got it. So for me, training is, it, it, I don't know. I don't know why that is either, but yeah. Well, by the way, uh, uh, special shout out to Aaron Sconner, who was just uh, announced as the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year for yes. the state of Utah yes. for his great work at Plural Site. That's so, right. Yep. Congratulations. Uh, go, Aaron, and mm-hmm. uh, keep up the good work out there, guys. We really, um, as Craig said, we, you know, we've known those guys forever. They do great work out there now, and, and um, uh, we want to see them continue to uh, explore the strange new worlds. Uh, that they're trying to explore. So. Yeah, and Keith is a real advocate for closure. He just wrote yet another Absolutely. blog post about uh, how their thinking is evolving. To, I mean, they're still on a Microsoft stack. Yeah. And so that's really, really interesting perspective to me is to have a guy who's got a responsibility for running a pretty darn big website, right, that does video streaming, hard problem, right, all yeah. that stuff. And yet he's looking at closure going, these ideas make total sense to me. So Absolutely. And, and, and that's actually been really gratifying as uh, I've talked to a lot of people from my own past. And, and, you know, part of my job is to be outward facing and talk to new people. And, and when closure comes up in those conversations, I, I don't normally find people who don't know what it is. And very rarely do I find somebody who hasn't let, you know, its principles infect their thinking in some way, shape or form. Uh, that is tremendously gratifying because it means that we do have some powerful, you know, memes here and some yeah. some, some viruses that are and, that are escaping. And that's also somewhat new. Like yeah. that was totally not true. Uh, well, if you take go back to 2010, that was absolutely not true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. And it, yes, the 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 recognition is growing, and I think that that just comes with understanding. You know, you have to reach a broader audience, and I, I hope that both we and and the other members of the closure community, and and of which there are now legion, and and it's great. Um, and there's a lot of different kind of outreach going on that isn't just coming from us and isn't just coming from Rich. And, and there's lots of other folks out there um, that are doing great work. And there's the Closure Doc stuff and Closure Works is doing good stuff. And um, people are trying a lot of different ways to get the ideas out. And I think that's the key. We've reached mm-hmm. some sort of critical mass of yep. people talking. Uh, and, uh, and it doesn't all have to come from one vector. And that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's been great to see Strange Loop, for example, um, uh, as one of those carrying vectors. I think it's one of those enormously popular events that crosses a lot of boundaries. But it also means that, you know, like-minded people from a lot of walks of, of life get together and share similar ideas. And uh, again, once, you know, I guess this podcast will be coming out a few months from now. Um, so uh, Alex Miller will have joined us officially by <laughs> yeah. then. Yay. Uh, that happens uh, or just happened, actually. Um, and so we're really looking forward uh, not to, you know, we're, we don't, we're not going to own Strange Loop or anything like that, but but just to continue to be involved uh, with that conference as attendees and yep. speakers um, uh, and, and watch that continue to grow. It's just a great event. Yeah, agreed. So um, on the topic of open source and community, um, you also have a long history of releasing 
interesting projects into the world. <laughs> and I'm going to throw quarter and, um, and I'm pronouncing it dine, Mike. Uh, I think din? it's din because it's like it's from the Phantom Tollbooth. Gotcha. The awful din, as in like a terrible noise. I thought <laughs> right. it was a good name for so a sound cross library. A gin, a gin, yes. and a yes, got exactly, it. Exactly. Yep. Um, and uh, and long before that, you had a um, uh, was it a microblogging uh, tool? That you uh, it was a wiki. I worked a wiki, on that's called right. FlexWiki. Yep. FlexWiki. Uh, so, um, talk about your own experiences with trying to get stuff out into the world. I mean, and these are, these are interesting quarter for anybody who doesn't know is, is a, uh, uh, tool for, um, tracking, uh, what would you call them? I mean, hand chords on the keyboard. I, I will, I would say that it started out at, well, <laughs> so that's a whole thing. I don't, I don't know if we, well, okay. So which one of those to talk? Let me just briefly talk about FlexWiki because <laughs> yeah. that, um, tracks back a long time ago. Sure. FlexWiki is pretty much defunct, but it came out in the era when um, lots of people were writing wikis. Uh, there was a guy named, at Microsoft named David Ornstein who had some interesting ideas about having a wiki that had an embedded small talk dialogue, uh, dialect, rather, um, which was a really cool idea, um, the implementation of which was never what I wanted it to be. But I got involved, and the, the most interesting thing about that um, was that it was Microsoft corporations third ever open source project this was in the era when you could not use open source at microsoft and they sure as hell weren't releasing things that day has long since passed but we it took us six months well it took him i wasn't really involved it took (laughs) him six months to jump through the hoops to get legal to sign off on it and during during that time the first two which were i don't think it'll mean anything to most of our listeners there's one called wix which was a um uh, like a, a installation engine generation XML uh, tool chain. Gotcha. So you could build, you know, a, uh, installation executables. Right. And one other that I forget, but it was really early on, so it was really significant from that standpoint. I did another one, uh, which remains probably the most popular thing I have ever done with, I want to say, well over a quarter million downloads called Hobocopy. Oh, right. Hobocopy. That was yeah, which uh, is a pun on RoboCopy, which is a really excellent copying tool, but it won't do the thing that um, you need to do in order to use RoboCopy as a backup tool, which is copy in-use files on Windows. Windows right. has this really awful habit of locking mm-hmm. files that are in use. <laughs> so if you wanted to back up, oh, say, your Outlook offline file, right, your Outlook, your file you use for Outlook, God help you that you're using Outlook. But if you have to back it up, uh, you couldn't do it without closing Outlook. And so, you know, pain in the butt. So I wrote a tool that used the something called the, vis- the volume shadow service right. to snapshot the disk. And then it would mount the snapshot and copy everything off of there. So you could copy in-use files. And it was nice because it would supposedly ensure consistent view. So it would tell the database, hey, you're being snapshotted. Make sure you flush everything to this, blah, 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 blah. And it was the only thing that was a free backup tool that copied in-use files two files and so I kind of hit this magic and it had the word hobo in the name and it had the hobo yeah that was a poor man's <laughs> robocopy that was the pun yeah. I love naming things yes. by the way in case it's not clear so then so that was really popular you mentioned quarter um, <laughs> this is a I don't know what's the what's the thing that you it's like a windmill that I've been tilting at for it's, a long time it's your albatross it is and it is and it isn't it is and it isn't because I've actually got it working on Windows so if you're on Windows it works it's a pity great. you work on a Mac sometimes <laughs> sometimes I work on a Mac mostly I work on Windows we yeah. talked about it on the Chaz yeah. show but I do want to get it working on the Mac but I need to write a device driver and that has so far so please anybody if you are listening and you know how to write keyboard device drivers on a Mac email me uh, Craig has a razor and a yak he's hoping you'll shave it for him. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
Um, but quarter, the idea behind quarter uh, is essentially so. As developers, right, as people that operate computers for a living, the primary tool by which we make the computer do our will is the keyboard. And we have almost zero control over how the keyboard behaves. Almost none. Some people remap caps lock to control. Ooh. Like that's nothing <laughs> compared to what you could do. And so my observation is that if you could insert um, your code between the keyboard and... Um, a fairly low-level part of the key processing chain. You can do all sorts of stuff. And that all sorts of stuff includes being able to take different actions when you press two keys at the same time. Because now, instead of 105 or whatever it is keys, you have 105 squared or cubed, way more, right? And so you can do things as well like record macros, right? Press a key combination or press some key, type something, hit another key, and then every time you hit yet another key, that thing types back. I mean, there's all sorts of user mode software for this, but but there's nothing that really solves it at a very low level. That turns out to be a hard problem on, on OS X. Yeah. And then uh, my latest one is called DIN, um, which I just did like two weeks ago. And actually in pursuit of producing the podcast, there you go. I was automating the production of the podcast. And I said, gosh, I would save a lot of time if instead of going into Audacity and, and clipping things off and doing this and doing that, if I wrote a script that would automate this. And I did. Um, and it's this really ugly combination of a command line tool called Socks and a closure program that drives it. Blah, right? Calling, shelling out from closure. It's gross, but it works. <laughs> um, and then I said, well, I wonder what it would take to do that, you know, programmatically. And since then, I've been on this completely obsessive compulsive chase to both do that. And I came up with an abstraction that I rather like. Um, and then to do it as fast as possible. Right. So right now I'm down to I can per, take an hours long podcast and produce it in ten minutes. That's not good enough. Yeah, right. I'm almost positive I can get that under a minute for an hour. Well, now now you you stated that publicly, so now you'll have to report back when you've done so. All right. Well, <laughs> people can watch the repo and they'll see it. And did your signal processing master's degree uh, uh, play into DIN at all? Did, have you found it? Have you ever said, hey, wow, I, I learned about that when I was uh, No, because I'm not doing anything fancy with, like, uh, 48 transforms or anything like that. I mean, it, Well, you should. Yeah, it all helps, but um, <laughs> I haven't. No, not really. It's, yeah. it's relatively naive, and, um, but, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I don't, it's, well, I relish the hour and a half I spent with you on a Saturday morning playing your cardboard cutout uh, wooden duck. <laughs> Uh, for that, because uh, that is that is my technical role here at the company, ladies and gentlemen. I dumbly listen to all people explain problems until they finally say, "Oh, right, that's what I went where I went wrong." So and just, then I smile and shake hands just, and go on my, on my merry way. Justin is being very modest. Not only was he helpful on that occasion, but he has actually recently released production software I into the relevance know. ecosystem. How crazy is that? It's pretty crazy. Of course, it was written in Ruby, so nothing wrong with that. <laughs> we like Ruby. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, Although I must say you skipped it when you were describing your your journey. Yeah, no, well, I, that's no, that's a good point. I mean, I did actually go over well, over as a. Well, I mean, I think it's a reasonable path to go through Ruby on your way to closure. I, also I think, think a lot of people are doing it, which is yes, um, uh, which which is found remarkable when you show it to people from from both. Right, camps. it does seem a little a little bit weird on the face of it, but Ruby has so many good ideas in it that um, the closure also has that it, it makes sense as an intermediate. Step if your destination is closure. I'm not trying to imply that the chain is oh, right, crappy right. language, 
Ruby and then the best language. I'm not trying <laughs> right. to say that at all, but but for those of us that do wind up in closure, Ruby makes a a very understand like you could get there and go that has a lot of stuff I love. Here's another language that has many of those things and a bunch of other cool things. So yeah, and I think that there's a lot of overlap, uh, both um, you know philosophically and community wise uh, that that uh, you know people don't necessarily notice. Um, until they look deeper. So right. it's fun to see it growing. So um, I think we're pretty much towards the end of the podcast. I do want to ask you one last thing. Okay. Dream Theater. Mm-hmm. Great band or best band ever? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's funny. If you had asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have said best band ever, right? I, I and, knew that. <laughs> yeah, right. And it, yeah, we could go on music for a while. <laughs> I really like them. I really... I, they're great. I go to their shows not only because I really enjoy their music, but also because um, it's a heavy metal band that I can take my wife to. Oh, right? well, and that, that that really does make them uh, uh, you know hugely useful in the arsenal. Yeah, it's great. No, we just enjoy going together. In fact, both of my daughters have been to Dream Theater concerts in utero. <laughs> and not since then. And they've turned out to be lovely young ladies. They are. And... Well, one of them. I won't say which one. <laughs> Um, yeah, my, no. My wife and I share many things, but a love of heavy metal has not. Well, hey, over. Alice is not. <laughs> Alice is not a huge fan either. But you know, she went um, the Metropolis 2000 tour. We went, and she heard um, uh, the Spirit Carries On, which is one of their more ballady songs, and right. she really liked that. But she also likes the other stuff, and of course, she knows that I really like them too. But but no, I, I can't say they're the best band ever because I don't think that concept exists, yeah, right? Like, I, I mean, music. I'm always looking for new stuff, right? And not like you're not trapped in the '70s like like other people. <laughs> <laughs> it just so happens that the exact moment I reached my maximally emotionally vulnerable state was the moment that music peaked, whatever that happened to be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's why people. Uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I guess on that note, uh, Craig, uh, I think we're wrapping up. Okay. I want to say. Yeah. Uh, that I have had a blast sitting on this side of the table. Um, I hope this hasn't been a, an annoying uh, segment of listening to Justin talk and Craig trying to get a word in edgewise. So, um, well, that would give people a taste of relevance. Ooh, ooh burn. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> I think I said that out loud. I think you're fired, oh, Craig. Oh, there we go. Yay! <laughs> Third time. You got fired live on Live the on the podcast. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, no, I would never fire Craig. I will just say it over and over again. All right. So um, uh, this has been great. I, I think you need to tell us what people have been listening to on the way out. And then uh, with that note, I think we'll sign off and say thanks, and we'll hope to see you next time. Cool. Well, I want to announce the song, and then I have one more thing to say. Just oh, that way I can all right. He's slipping one in. sneak a <laughs> few extra moments of this awesome song in. So the song, I actually debated about. So, you know, I, you can imagine that, like, having done the show for – Probably this will probably be close to the 40th episode, um, that I have thought a lot about what songs to pick. And it's changed many, 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 many times. In fact, the outro, I had the intro song picked because it's a Dream Theater song. It's got an amazing bass bit that comes in really strong at the beginning. Which is, I'm hoping, the snippet we'll hear. <laughs> yes, that's the part we'll hear. So that was really, I think that's a really good choice for me, at least. But the outro song, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and then last night I kind of solidified it because you and I played, uh, took out the, you took out your guitar, took out my bass and we limped our way through a super fun song, uh, Twilight Zone by Golden Earring, which is an amazing song. Really fun to play, even for people with our level of skill. And the last time we played it before this, uh, Stuart Holloway and Glenn Vanderberg tried to sing the harmony (laughs) 
And I'll repeat tried. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's on the way out. And just before we go, if I could just I gotta I have to thank um, three people in particular because I have been super remiss about saying this on the show. But um, uh, Michael Parento, Lynn Grogan, and um, and Mark Phillips have all helped with with the episodes to a huge degree. The show would not exist. I would have stopped doing this quite a while ago if those guys hadn't stepped up and. And for anybody that I've said this this before, but I'll say it again. For anybody that does not go, that doesn't get the the um, show through the website, probably, people probably subscribe on iTunes or whatever. Stop by once in a while because Michael Parento spends time every single show making a cover just for that show, and they are always awesome. They are a hundred percent spot on, awesome. Yeah. So thanks a ton to those guys. Yeah, and and with Lynn and Mark, these are people who you know edited the show or, or listened to it for uh, 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 mistakes, uh, put together the show notes, who run down links, who uh, spend a lot of time making sure that, that it, it's uh, up to snuff, and, and uh, every every minute of that kind of stuff is, is um, tremendous, and, and, you know, nobody has the time to do all of that stuff, right? Um, so it's great when people absolutely. step in and do it. And they're it. not the only ones, I mean, no, and lots of other people help us. Absolutely, well. people do help, but those, those three in specific, you're right, um, really dedicate themselves to it, so uh, that's awesome. Thanks from all of us, and thank you to Craig for uh, sitting on the other side of the table. Well, thanks for Feel the heat. coming in and doing this. <laughs> awesome. All right, thanks everybody. All right, thanks. Destination unknown Double cross messenger All alone can't get no connection, can't get through where I